Hey, Kevin Draves here with The Howl for Diamond Box Bluetooth Speakers. I got to tell you, I play basketball at the gym down the road for me all the time. And sometimes I go late at night. I bring my Diamond Box. And now they're introducing three new systems. The new L2, XL2, and M2 all feature stereo sound by themselves or split stereo sound with wireless syncing of two units for a live sound experience. Loud enough for any environment. And I kid you not, you could play this at low volume and you'll hear it in any room of your house. This is the most powerful Bluetooth boombox speaker on the market today. Check them out on Twitter at Diamond Box Co. That's box with two X's, Diamond Box Co. Tonight, you folks at home and we here in the Coliseum will watch history in the making. The first game ever for the Minnesota Timberwolves. The fifth pick in the 1995 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Kevin Garnett from Farragut Academy in Chicago. And the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to the Western Conference Finals. Happy birthday, Kevin Garnett. Welcome to the den. This is the howl. We would like to welcome everybody listening on the Nothing But Net channel here on Dash Radio. Nothing But Net is a channel like no other featuring all teams and all topics from everybody's favorite sport, basketball. The Howl is brought to you by our wonderful supporting partners, Rhyme Sayers Entertainment, the pinnacle of underground hip-hop worldwide, Studio 23, where passion reigns supreme, and Isabel Street Heat, adding a bit of spice into your everyday life. All audio equipment on the Howl is brought to you by Rode Microphones. Studio quality with easy accessibility since 1967. Quarter one of the Howl here on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. It is our division preview once again, and this time we switch over to the Eastern Conference, and I am joined right away by Justin Rowan uh, at Cavzanada on Twitter. He is the host of the Chase Down Pod, uh, writer for Fear the Sword, and uh, if you follow NBA Twitter whatsoever, you have seen him and his Canadian flag next to his name. Justin, uh, thanks for taking some time today, and uh, uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, and I uh, apologize to all the listeners that have come across my tweets. I I really do feel (laughs) bad about that. Uh, So the Cavs uh, last year go 19-63, and Uh, 14th in the West, and it it wasn't necessarily the best year last year. Uh, You know, first year post LeBron, uh, you know, Ty Lue gets 
Vegas can, they bring in Larry Drew and that doesn't work out. What what was your kind of takeaway from just the, the overall season last year for the Cleveland Cavaliers? Last year was funny because it almost put the Cavs, they accidentally went the direction I wanted them to go, which was to kind of manage Love's minutes. Um, obviously, that was forced upon them uh, by him breaking his foot essentially in the preseason and, and trying to play through it and then needing to sit out until February. But after that, they traded away the veterans, um, got just a, a ton of picks back. I, I believe they got seven second round picks and two firsts. Uh, some of those they turned into Kevin Porter Jr. in this last draft. But it, it was a frustrating season. A lot of injuries. Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, Larry Nance Jr. all missed time. Um, Colin Sexton w- was very, very, very bad to start the year, but kind of picked it up towards the end. Uh, but overall, it was a lost season. And uh, it was also a, a reminder of just the the new lottery rules with the league where you finish with the the best possible lotto odds and you fall the fifth and and uh luckily they got garland but it it was definitely a tough season so let's let's talk about darius garland because it it you know it, it seems to me like the cavaliers have a little bit of a problem and and you know we do uh uh on the show here we do our 2k simulations from time to time with like 2k19 now 2k20 and my mm-hmm. co-host aaron loves to have as many centers and power forwards as he possibly can on the team. He feels for whatever reason, that's his, that's his go-to. And it seems like the Cavaliers have kind of a reverse Aaron Groshan where they've got way too many point guards on this team. Uh, Clarkson, Della Vadova, Darius Garland, uh, Brandon Knight, Colin Sexton. And you take Colin Sexton last year and now you draft Darius Garland this year. What's, what's the thought process you think behind that? I think the thought process with Garland was simply just taking the best player available. Um, this is someone that probably would have been in the conversation for the, the second overall pick if he hadn't got hurt. Uh, it's a little bit different than the year prior where they probably reached uh, to some extent on Colin Sexton. Um, I, I think it was just a matter of picking the best player available. Um, Long term, I don't know if they're going to be a good pairing together. I know they want to replicate kind of what Portland has with Damon CJ. Um, but I do think there there is actually a benefit to them playing together early on in their careers. Uh, you look at a lot of the kind of modern combo point guard uh, type archetypes where you got guys like Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, uh, Kyrie Irving. They all play a lot off ball. They're not guys that have the ball in their hands 35% of the time with just massive, massive usage rates. Uh, they they learn how to play off ball, and, and both of these guys are going to be forced to do that really early on in their careers, rather than just being in one of those situations where, hey, this team sucks. I'm going to take every single shot. I, I don't need to pass. Uh, they they're going to be forced to develop those habits. Which, e- even though I don't necessarily believe in them long term as a combination, I do think it's going to be good for both of their individual developments. Do you see Colin Sexton as a long term piece on this team, or? Do you I mean do you eventually see maybe uh, Darius Garland kind of bumping him out? Well, I, I think Garland um, already is probably the better player of the two. Um, I think the most likely outcome for Colin Sexton is for him to be a uh, kind of a six-man guy that comes off the bench, kind of the Lou Williams type. Um, which I mean, you look at the history of eighth overall picks; that, that's pretty much a, an above-average outcome. Um, I don't want to limit him to that. 
Um, he's really shown that his work ethic is at another level. He came into last year not being able to really shoot well and not having range. And midway through the season, um, basically developed a three-point shot, really worked at it, and was a a prolific three-point shooter that was taking about six a game, hitting over 40%, um, which to me is a, a good indicator that he can develop if he's working on the right things. But I, I really think that he'd have to make some serious improvements on the defensive end. I don't know how much improvement he's going to have as a playmaker. Um, but as much as I don't want to limit him to any one specific role, um, it, the most likely outcome is probably for him to be a six man. Let's let's move along here. And, and like I said earlier, they had Ty Lue. They got rid of him. They had Larry Drew. That didn't really work out either. Uh, first things first, do you think Larry Drew got a fair shake at the head coaching gig? I think to some extent. I mean, part part of the reason I think this year is going to be a little bit better for Cleveland is you just have a, a coaching staff that knows exactly what the situation is. They want this. Uh, whereas Larry Drew last year, um, around the All-Star break, he was saying publicly that the the season had kind of taken his will away from him to coach. He didn't know if he ever wanted to be a head coach again in the NBA. Um, wow. And that even that type of wavering, if he came into your office at the end of the year and said, hey, I've actually made up my mind. I'd like to be a head coach. For a developing team, somebody that, that's on the fence there, uh, I, I don't know if that necessarily would be the, the way to go. Now, they went with someone very old in John Beeline, but but at the same time, that that's a little bit different than someone that is questioning whether or not he wants to continue in the profession. Well, and this, I mean, this has to be a pretty good gig when you look at it for Beeline. Is you know he doesn't have to go out and necessarily recruit anymore. Um, he's had a lot of success with a a you know Michigan Wolverines program for for years, and now he gets to move into a team that you know has has struggled now in the season previous. He you know the team is walking in with, I think, lower expectations, still wanting to obviously progress forward. But he's, I mean, he's kind of in a, in a pretty good position when you look at it from the overall standpoint. Yeah. In some ways, I, I do think it's going to be interesting because in all likelihood, he's probably going to lose more games this season than he has in the last five years. And how he adjusts (laughs) to that is going to be interesting. Um, There, there are benefits to this, but I, I do think there's going to be some growth pains. I mean, Yes, he has a few more practices than he would have been accustomed to um, when he was at Michigan. But he's going to have to figure out exactly how to allot his time, um, especially as we get into the regular season. There's going to be far fewer practices. And he he expressed some concerns and frustrations after the last preseason game, saying, oh, we're still working on some of the fundamentals. Uh, guys aren't picking things up. Well, you kind of you can't let good enough be the victim of perfection here. Like you have to be able to prioritize what you're going to do and figure out, okay, guys aren't picking this up. We can get at least 20% of this implemented now and we can continue to work on stuff incrementally throughout the year. Um, I, I do think that there's going to be growing pains with them. It's just whether or not the team and, and the players are bought into his vision where they're willing to go through those growing pains with them. They're not tuning him out. Um, And if they can do that, and if the coaching staff as a whole can continue to keep that buy-in and change the culture, I do think that it can be a positive union. You know, when you, when you look at the, the bigs on the Cleveland Cavaliers, again, joined by Justin Rowan, uh, you've got, you've got some youth, 
You've got some some veterans on the team. Uh, the team acquired uh, Antti Zizic last year. Uh, you've got Larry Nance Jr., uh, Kevin Porter Jr. I think you can even put into that conversation just uh, on some of his play style. Uh, how do you think those guys are going to be able to benefit from playing alongside guys like Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, uh, as the season goes? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. You mentioned earlier the the glut that they have at point guard um, or at the guard position. There's kind of the same thing at center. Um, you got Tristan Thompson, John Henson, uh, Ante Zizic. Uh, they want to play Kevin Love there some. Uh, Larry Nance has moved kind of primarily to the power forward position, which I think is overall positive. I think as long as the veterans are healthy, it's going to help things out a lot. Uh, Kevin Love, just being out there on the court makes things a lot easier for everybody. Uh, Tristan Thompson and John Henson are, are better rim protectors than anybody that they had last year uh, with Thompson missing time. As soon as he went out, that went out the window. Um, I, I still think that this is going to be a team that's abysmal defensively. Uh, they're, they're just relying on too many young guys, and um, I just don't see that this being a roster that can really prevent any uh, penetration from the exterior. But at the end of the day, I, I do think that it'll be a little bit better. Maybe they can get up to 29th defensively instead of uh, worst defense in league <laughs> history, and, and that would be some nice growth. Well, uh, taking a look at Bovada, they currently have the Cavs set at an over-under of 24.5 for this upcoming season. Uh, the, the last question I ask everybody is, you're sitting in Vegas at the Sportsbook. You see the Cavs at 24.5. Uh, are you taking the over or the under? So I'm taking the over there. I, I had them at about 26, 27 wins. Um, they won 19 last year with Kevin Love really being healthy for none of them. Um, I, I do think that this is a more talented team. I, I do believe that they've improved on the bench. Um, and they also know that, hey, the lottery odds are kind of a toss-up. We don't need to throw away the season the, the same way that we did at the end. Um, they, they have to worry about development, and they're going to be trying to win each game. Um, I, I think that's good for about six or seven uh, extra wins this season. So um, I, I think I bet it when it was at 22.5, so it's interesting to see that line move up. Um, but yeah, I, I feel pretty good about the over on this one. All right. There you have it again. Uh, you can read his work on fear the sword. Uh, he's also the host of the chase down pod, Justin Rowan, helping us preview the Cavs here on dash radios, nothing but a channel. Uh, again, you can find him at Cavs Canada. That's Cavs. And then Canada with just missing the C is probably the easiest way to describe it. <laughs> uh, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to, to talking to you more as we go through and, uh, Best of luck to the Cavs as we go through this year. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome back to the division preview part of the Howl here on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. We are joined now by David Fernandez. You can find him on Twitter at the underscore Fernandula. Uh, he is a writer for Detroit Bad Boys and the host of the Inside the Cylinder podcast. David, thanks for hopping on tonight, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to get going on this season. Man, it's like it's like Christmas with the season starting up here. It's uh, it's a super exciting time, and you know the Pistons had some some pretty good you know points last year. Forty one and forty one uh, made the playoffs as the eighth seed. They lost to the Bucks. They got swept, but we'll just sweep that under the rug. Uh, last year was the first season of of your new head coach, Dwayne Casey. What were your thoughts on his job in that first year, and what do you look for? Uh, in year two from Dwayne Casey? 
I thought he did a pretty good job, all things considered. Um, he didn't have the best type of, uh, I guess, perfect roster type of situation that you would hope as a as a new coach. There wasn't a lot of flexibility with the moves that they were able to do um, the offseason that they acquired him. So all things considered, and with the level of talent that they were at, that they had, um, and I was pretty pretty pleased with what he was able to do. Um, and then, you know, you did mention it. Uh, they did make it to the playoffs, which was an improvement over, you know, what we've been able to see from that team over um, the previous seasons. So, um, you know, all things considered, I thought he did pretty well. It's kind of hard to tell because it's so much not his team. It's so much still, you know, the loose parts of, of Stan Van Gundy's tenure. I think this year you'll be able to tell a little bit more about what, what he's able to do. So, you know, the, the team goes 41 and 41. You got Blake Griffin, you got Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson. You go out in free agency and you sign a couple of pretty good free agents based off of, uh, you know, previous seasons. Uh, you get Derek Rose uh, from, you know, my Minnesota Timberwolves and you go out and get Markeith Morris. What are what do you think on those two and, and their production here on this team? Because, you know, Rose and Markeith both sound like they're going to be backups coming off the bench. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that was a uh, well. I'm, I'm very high on the Derrick Rose pick, um, mainly because he is the Detroit Pistons have been a team where they have just been known for um, kind of just a slower offensive pace. They they're not an explosive offense. They're um, you know they do rely more on their defense to, to get their wins. So to bring in a guy like Derrick Rose who can be a spark plug off the bench. He doesn't need to have the ball. Oh, he doesn't need to have the ball, but he doesn't need to be playing, you know, somewhere between 30 and 35 minutes a night or anything like that. Um, I think it's going to provide a lot for that bench unit, which at times was pretty disastrous last season. The starters really did most of the work for, for the Pistons last year. So to be, being able to, sorry, to be able to bring in a guy like Derrick Rose, I think is going to be just a shot of life that this team desperately needs. Um, and also it's insurance for Reggie Jackson, who's had his own injury history over the past few seasons. I think that that could be something where, um, you know, if you do lose a Reggie Jackson for any amount of time, you're able to slide Derrick Rose into the starting lineup and then have Tim Frazier backing him up. So I think that they really did address the point guard situation, which was, you know, kind of hot and cold over the last few seasons. Um, you know, you... Marquise Morris. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, with Marquise Morris, you know, I'm, I always liked him at, at his days in, in Washington. Um, I think with him, he was coming off of a back injury last season. So it's still kind of TVD about what you're going to get out of him and how good he's going to be or, you know, what types of shades he's going to be able to provide from his days in Washington here in Detroit. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for, for Marquise Morris. He's definitely a step up when it comes to a backup power forward that this team didn't have on the roster last season. Um, so I, I think just to have any type of relief um, in, in that backup power forward position and also knowing that Detroit is going to be more mindful about how much they utilize Blake Griffin this year, um, just to have a guy like Marquise Morris who has played in a starting role, who has played big minutes in the NBA, does provide a lot of insurance. I think that this team desperately needed at that spot. You know, the, the Pistons only have one 
true center on the roster. If you look at it, uh, look at some of the roster makeups, and that's Andre Drummond. Uh, you guys did get Thon Maker. Do you see him as kind of the backup center at this point in time, or who do you see in that position? So the Pistons just did some maneuvering in order to get Christian Wood on the team. He's a guy that bounced around, um, not necessarily bounced around, but he's only had like, a cup of coffee in the NBA so far. He actually played pretty well for the Pelicans once they were all said and done with their season. Um, so he kind of put up some gaudy numbers there. They got him at a um, minimum contract. Um, and then he actually was the one who made the team. They waived Joe Johnson today because um, both those guys were brought in for like a training camp battle. And Christian Wood was the guy that, that made the roster. And he really impressed in the preseason. Um, you know, he, had, he averaged something like 12, 13 points per game. He just looks more of like a true center compared to Thon Maker. I, I really do expect Thon to possibly play some backup power forward, maybe some backup center. But honestly, I think Christian Wood's going to be the guy coming off the backup center next year. All right. Yeah, it's it's about a three inch height difference between the two with Thon Maker at seven one and uh Christian Wood I think is is coming in at six ten. So it's it's interesting that the that the Pistons might use Thon more as a as a backup four there um as well. Uh another name on this team and one that I think uh my co hosts, you know, Rob and Aaron and I all really liked for the Timberwolves um was was the name Sekou Dumbuya. Uh a name that, you know, a lot of people uh had, had kind of rarely heard of he was an overseas guy uh what have you seen from Seku so far and and how do you like that pick for the Pistons I like the pick because it's a pick that's pointed towards the future it's something where he's so raw he's 18 years old when you saw him play in preseason and in the summer league he really looked like he was kind of lost out there it looks like he um you know just wasn't really ready for for big NBA minutes not only from you know, like a physical perspective, but also from a mental perspective. But I do like the, the mentality of, like, let's get, you know, a guy that has a ridiculously high ceiling. He's an awesome athlete. Uh, if he can develop the shot, if he can, you know, work on his handles a little bit more, I think he can be a really explosive player for this team. But it's just something where Pistons fans, especially right after the draft, were getting really, really excited when they were looking at, like, highlight videos and things of that nature and, like, workouts. Um, it, yeah, they have to like temper their expectations just because he's so young. And also this is a team that's trying to win. So it's not, he's not going to be in a situation where they just let him go out there and, and fail on his own right away. And like in some serious minutes, I think he's going to get possibly spot minutes like down the road once they sort of establish themselves. Um, but, um, I, I mean, just from like a mental perspective from where the organization is kind of pointing themselves to the future, they didn't just draft a guy that to come in and play right away. I do like that because they do need, you know, a, a spark. They need something. They need to hit on somebody within that type of range of where they've been drafting for the past few years. So I'm going to, I'm going to get to the other, uh, the other draft pick that you had here in just a second, but I, I'm sure you probably just saw this here. Uh, Woj just tweeted out that uh, Thon Maker did not reach a rookie extension deal uh, as of uh, uh, 6 PM Eastern time. Uh, your thoughts, do you think Detroit wants to bring him back? Uh, what, what do you see in the, in the future here quick for, for Thon maker? That's, uh, that's as of like a minute or two ago here on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I think with, with Thon, it, it's kind of like what they were in with the Stanley Johnson situation last season. It's really going to be like, you have to play and you have to kind of prove it. Um, I think they're, they're willing to, to risk losing him in free agency just because 
you know, as, as I said, he, it looked like he essentially lost his backup center position to a guy who was floating around off waivers, you know, who anybody could have picked up um, this past offseason. Um, so I really do think that uh, that might have showed them something when it comes to their long-term plans. And, I mean, he's just kind of difficult to, to slot in. As he, he doesn't necessarily have a role because he's not a great backup center. He's not a great rebounder. He's not a great shot blocker. He's also not a true stretch four because he can't really consistently hit the three. So I think it's just something where they're willing to, to take a risk in losing him in free agency. But, you know, I, he'll have opportunities to play this season. He'll have opportunities to, you know, possibly come back to the team. But I, I don't blame them for not doing that just because he hasn't shown enough when he was able to play for Detroit last season and so far early on in the preseason to really stand out to guarantee himself a spot on the team moving forward. Yeah, some of the other names here, uh, Brandon Ingram, Jakob Pertl, uh, Malik Beasley, and Damian Jones uh, will all go with. Now, uh, just real quick, uh, out of those out of those five, uh, who would you prefer to have most on your team? Brandon Ingram, Jakob Pertl, Thon, Malik Beasley, or Damian Jones? Uh, I mean, probably Brandon Ingram just from a scoring perspective. I mean, you, you don't know what it's like to watch a Detroit Pistons team for <laughs> 70-something games throughout the season and just see truly like an inept offense. Truly, like, they don't necessarily have the guys that are – explosive wings. They don't have guys that can really go get their own other than a Blake Griffin and maybe Reggie Jackson has a good night here and there. So to, to I would be more willing to bet on Brandon Ingram, bet on his um, development, hope that his health comes around and he's 100% good to go down the road. Um, just because that's just the type of player that this team could desperately need. He's someone that would fit next to a Blake Griffin um, or just in general, just a guy that you can invest into um, into his future just because he is so young. So I would have to go with Brandon Ingram out of those, but I do like Malik Beasley as well. Let's uh, let's get back to the NBA draft from 2019 here, and let's talk about the uh, the other pick that I, that I really like, and I want your thoughts on it as well, Jordan Bone. Uh, a lot of reports I'm seeing is that out of the uh, out of the draft picks, he's probably the one that might get the most playing time, being that that you know kind of third point guard on the team. Uh, what do you think of Jordan Bone? Do you think he's going to get any playing time this year? And and what do you kind of want to see out of him this season? To be honest, if Jordan Bone is getting substantial playing time this season, I think it's a bad sign for the Pistons in the sense of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, right now he's on a two-way contract, so I, I don't expect him to spend a ton of time um, with the main club uh, just because he's – I liked him as well. I, I was excited about the pick just for the reason that Detroit doesn't necessarily have a ton of point guard insurance pointing towards the future. Reggie Jackson is going to be a free agent after this year. You know, you sign a short-term deal with Derrick Rose, Tim Frazier, who's the third-string point guard right now. You know, he's kind of been that journeyman that's kind of due to sign two-year contract by two-year contract type of situation. So, um, you know, I, I I was excited that they were – putting some sort of stock into the point guard position with their draft picks. But at the same time, I'm not expecting to see a ton of him. He didn't play super well in the preseason, um, but just his stock, just what he was able to do when he was at Tennessee, the level of athlete that he is, um, that gives me some hope that he might be able to find a niche in the NBA and find a niche with this team. 
All right. One last question here for you, David. Uh, I've been asking everybody this, the over under on the year. Uh, Bavada has you guys at 37 and a half for the season. So taking a little step back, uh, if you are at the sports book in Vegas, you see Detroit at 37 and a half. Are you taking the over or the under? I'm going to take the over. I think if this team can remain moderately healthy, I can't see them being much worse. I have them actually substantially, or not substantially, but a bit better than they finished last season. They were 41 and 41 last year. I think if they can remain healthy, that's why the the line is where it's at. Because if you miss Blake Griffin for 20 games, if you miss a combination of Reggie Jackson and Derrick Rose for 20 games, that's when this thing can really fall off the rails. Um, But I'm not going to come into the season thinking that that's going to happen. I'm going to go on the optimist side, and I'm going to slap the over for sure. All right, there you have it. Once again, David Fernandez, you can find him at on Twitter at the underscore Fernandula. Uh, he is the host of the Inside the Cylinder podcast. Uh, go check them out on Twitter at Inside the Cylinder, uh, and it's C-Y-L-N-D-R uh, for Inside the Cylinder. David, again, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, look forward talking with you as the season goes on all right well take care and good luck to the timberwolves once again the division preview here on dash radio's nothing but net channel and the howl we are joined by ty windish he is the host of the euro step podcast uh by the way uh great name first off that's one of my favorite uh pod names that i have seen uh of all time i have to say Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I uh, appreciate it. We, I get more, way, way, way more compliments on the name of the podcast than like the actual show itself. <laughs> so I, I always tell people my goal is to one day, uh, after a long and hard road, have a, a product that lives up to the branding. But no, I, I thank you very much for the compliment. I mean, you know, you got a lot to talk about over there in Milwaukee. And, um, you know, luckily the Vikings aren't playing the Packers this week, so I can actually talk to you. Uh, you know, it's, it, we, we, we kind of live as, as rivals in, in, um, in football, but for some reason we're in different conferences in basketball, but I, nonetheless, I am a huge Milwaukee Bucks fan and they had some great success last year. They went 60 and 22, uh, good for first in the East. They went far in the playoffs. I mean, this Bucks team turned it around in a hurry. Yeah, they did. Um, it's funny because if you talk to but Bucks Bucks fans, and I feel like this is probably relatable to you as a, a Minnesota sports fan, there's always like the, it's like in, uh, excitement and and stuff for the teams is always very tepid, except for like the Packers. Like I'm not actually a Packers fan, they're, they're pretty good usually, but like Brewers and Bucks for sure, everything is very tempered. Like like no one's ever used to being good, so when it looks like it's gonna happen, no one's really ready for it. So. You know, Bucks fans before last season were like, maybe they can get 50 wins. No, we think they can get 50 wins, maybe low 50s, probably make the second round, maybe the conference finals. That'd be great. And then the season starts under Bud, and they're just torching everybody. And then gradually you start to get used to, okay, this team can really contend for a title. This team might win the title. Then obviously, you know, Toronto series happens, and that's kind of a bummer to lose four in a row and, and just be done. But certainly it was a, a big shock both inside and outside Bucks fandom, despite what Bucks fans might say now. Yeah, there's there's got to be a lot of confidence in that in that Milwaukee fan base, and and for good reason too. I mean, you know, you go sixty and twenty two, you have uh, arguably one of the best players in the NBA currently. You have a great coach, um, and then it seemed like in the off season, 
you guys seem to even get better. And I think that's the scary thing for me. Uh, you, you went ahead and you re-signed some of your key guys, uh, you know, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton. Uh, I even think George Hill is a great re-signing for the Bucks. But then you also go in and add some great guys like Robin Lopez, Kyle Korver. Uh, you get some good role players in Thanasis and Dragon Bender. I mean, this, this team is going to be scary no matter who you are, East or Western Conference. I agree. I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there who will tell you the Bucks are worse now uh, after losing Malcolm Brogdon. I think there's certainly an argument to be made, um, but I truly think you're right. I think the depth that they added is going to help a lot. I mean, if you look back at that Bucks roster late in the year, there was no true backup center. It didn't exist. After they make the move to trade John Henson uh, quite a while ago now, and then Thon Maker gets traded in the, the uh, Nikola Miritich deal, Miritich can play the five. His minutes at the five were hardly a disaster for Milwaukee. So really you're looking at, you know, if Brooke Lopez was to have missed any sort of a time, Giannis, who obviously the Bucks, you know, can play him at the five sometimes. They don't want to do that for long periods of time in the regular season to wear him down. It's Giannis, it's Ersan Ilyasova, or it's Miritich when they got him. That was it for their center options. And that's not great. Now you get Robin Lopez, who's a true defensive center. He can man the five. He can rebound, defend, all that stuff. Now he's shooting threes, which is a whole lot of fun. Uh, you get a bunch of shooters. Kyle Korver has been so exciting to watch this preseason. I think he's going to be good for a lot of the young players. But also Wes Matthews as well. I think Wes is probably going to start uh, at the two there to replace Broden, at least to start the year pending any other sort of moves. And I think he's great rival defensively and a quick trigger shooter as well. So, yeah, I think – the depth and the shooters they brought in, plus some of these role players added, I think it should make for a bunch more wins in Milwaukee. Are you as excited as I am to watch the Lopez brothers play together? I am as excited as anybody is to watch the <laughs> Lopez brothers play together. The low bros. I remember that first preseason game. They're screening and picking, popping for each other, which I expected them both to do that. I certainly didn't expect to do that. Them to do that like in the same motion with each other. I thought it'd be one at a time or something like that, but it has been so much fun. The banter has been a blast. You know, they always pretend to hate each other, even though they clearly don't, you know, with Robin, Robin obviously signing in Milwaukee, but it has been awesome. I'm going to love watching them both bomb away this season. And I mean, it's a, a winning formula with the one. So I guess the Bucks just said, Hey, why don't we, why don't we double our Lopez's? Maybe we'll double our series wins this year too. You know, it's, it's, it's good to see too. Cause I think that that's a, uh, an underrated aspect of it is the fact that those two have been playing, you know, basketball with each other throughout their childhood, throughout their teen years and everything like that. You look at it and I mean, who better to know a Lopez brother than the other Lopez brother. So having those guys on the court, I mean, that's, that's a good chemistry right off the bat. And, and those two are super lovable guys. So you, you throw those two with a Giannis with a Kyle Korver, and that's just a team of lovable guys in general. Yeah, and I'll always root for Chris Middleton, who, in my opinion, is one of the most fun guys to cheer for just because maybe the most low-key NBA player ever. My favorite Chris Middleton thing is, like, on the rare occasions that he posts any sort of, like, a story on Instagram or anything, it's not just, like, sharing the Bucks picture of him or whatever. It's literally, like, him watching a movie in his hotel room or something or working out. Like, <laughs> the guy is so low-key, just, like, hanging out, working out, playing basketball. I'm such a big fan of his. I'm, I'm so thrilled that you know, he gets the all-star nod last year. Good chance to get another one this year just because, I don't know, I've always just liked guys, you know, not flashy, nothing like that, just shows up, does his job, doesn't take things for granted. 
That's and that's that's exactly what you want. And I think the Wolves kind of have that in Jeff Teague, who uh, revealed he's a big WWE fan and uh, wants to go to the pay per views uh, when they're in the cities here. So you get you get that kind of thing, and it's it's nice to kind of get that personal aspect of it. Uh, speaking of personal aspect, uh, the Bucks signing Thanasis, uh, Giannis's brother. Do you think that's a a ploy to try to get him to stay? Is that something where you think they're actually going to use him as a role player on this team? What do you see for the uh, for the other Antetokounmpo? Yeah, I think uh, I'll say this. I, I certainly don't think it hurts that he happens to be Giannis's brother. Um, I, I don't think it detracted from his case to be on the Bucks. Um, I, I think he's a fine player. Um, you know, G, uh, he was an all G League. I think it was a D League at the time. He was an all D League defensive guy one year before he went to play in Europe. Uh, certainly not the the talent his brother has. Actually, older than Giannis. Um, not correcting you. I don't, I don't think you said that at all. But I I, I hear that a lot uh, from uh, opposing commentators and such. But Giannis is actually younger than Sinassus. But I, I think he he plays hard. He's a good defender. He's been working on his shot. It looked pretty decent in, in training camp and preseason. So that's exciting to see. And I think he could be a real player. But you know, he's certainly the the 14th or 15th guy. I'd probably say 15th now after really surprising. I was stunned at this. I was impressed with Dragon Bender's preseason. I thought Dragon looked really, really solid, which is not what I thought he looked like in Phoenix. So, uh, but, you know, I, I think he's a real player. Tanasis getting back to him, but certainly it wasn't uh, it wasn't coincidence that, you know, he happens to be Giannis's brother and signed at such a pivotal moment in Giannis making long-term decisions. Uh, so we're going to get into a couple tough questions here for you that I want to I wanna run past you. The first one, what happened to Dante DiVincenzo? Uh, I think a lot of us know the name from the finals a couple of years ago in the NCAA uh, and really kind of seemed to have fallen off the wayside with the Milwaukee Bucks. And now, obviously, there's reason to understand they're a 60-win team. Uh, you know, the guys ahead of him are putting out good numbers, so he's not going to get a lot of playing time. But at least in the few games that I watched when he was on the floor, he looked a little bit lost. What have you seen from him this year? Well, it's it's tough for Dante. Um, if, if you're talking about this preseason, I agree. He's been not hesitant to fire, but those shots have not been falling whatsoever. A lot of like one for eights for him across box scores so far. I'm not super worried. I mean, I think the, the three worst shooting blocks in the preseason were him, Chris Milton, and George Hill. I think those guys, especially the other two guys, will be fine. Uh, I hope Dante will be fine. But really, he had some good moments at the start of his rookie year, at the beginning of last year. Uh, and the Bucks wanted to play him. The Bucks are high on Dante. They really like Dante. I still think he's going to spend a lot of time with the Herd this season just because of all that depth, but we'll see because there are a lot of people very high on him in the org. But I think injuries is really the, the, the question to what happened to him. Uh, like I said, kind of a strong start, came on really solid in that first year and then got hurt. And then so many guys playing well, whether it was Sterling Brown, who's always been fighting for minutes at that spot. That fight got even harder this year with the added depth. And now, of course, Wes Matthews, Kyle Korver, uh, George Hill's got to play. He'll probably mostly play at the one, but who knows, maybe a little bit of time at the two. Chris Middleton there at the three, of course. So it's going to be tough for Dante to get minutes with all of those guys there. Pat Connaughton is another guy I haven't mentioned yet, but a uh, really good athlete, decent shooter. Bucks like him. He's, he always brings 100% energy. Doesn't always bring the right decision to go with that energy, but still coaches love high-energy guys. So... Uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of a role Dante carves out for himself. I mean, last year with the there was an overabundance of twos last year too, mostly at the backup spot. And last year, Bud's answer was really just to 
kind of play the hot hand, see who was going, give them more opportunity, and then just mix in the other guys where he could. It wouldn't shock me to see that again, although I do think Wes Matthews is going to be the opening starter. But, yeah, it's going to be tough for Dante to play. So I do hope if he is, uh, you know, not really getting many NBA minutes, I do hope that uh, the Bucks take advantage of having this G League team that I actually cover every game here in Oshkosh, the Wisconsin Herd. Hopefully he gets some playing time somewhere. Because I just think, you know, letting the guy sit, if he's not going to play in the NBA, you might as well play him in the G League. Because otherwise, you know, what's really the point? All right. I got another tough question for you. And I think this one's probably going to be the tougher one. Giannis Antetokounmpo is a free agent here. It looks like at the end of the uh, 2021 season uh, or 2020. Yeah. 2021 season. Uh, where do you see him landing? Do you think he stays with the Bucks? I know there's been rumors of him going out West. Uh, where do you see Giannis ending up uh, if you had to rub your crystal ball? I think he's going to stay. I think everything he said indicates he's going to stay. I think, um, you know, he can't make that decision yet. So the the reason people are talking about this year with with this decision is because uh, Giannis does not hit free agency after this season. You were correct. It's after the 2020-21 season. But he can, this coming off season, after this regular season and playoffs, he can sign in the Supermax extension right then to kick in after the next year then and be locked into the Bucks for obviously, you know, the, the immediate and seemingly long-term future. Uh, even if he doesn't do that, he could still certainly re-up with the Bucks after next year as well, but obviously you don't like your chances as much. Um, but I, I do think he's going to stay, though. Uh, I think Giannis is all about loyalty. I think the Bucks have showed him that loyalty, um, you know, doing everything they can to compete right now, swinging trades to get guys, obviously signing his brother, although I don't think that's going to factor in that much. I mean, the Lakers (laughs) signed one of his brothers too, so I I guess it cancels out at the very least. But uh, everybody wants him. It's no secret he's the the crown jewel of that 2021 free agency class right now that so many teams like the Raptors are making sure they have cap space for. I mean, the Warriors have said they wanted him. Of course they do. Every team should want him. Um, I just think, of course, everyone's going to go for him. He's going to get these, you know, low-key pitches like Kawhi Leonard got all year, but I don't know. I just think Giannis seems like he's the kind of guy who really wants to be loyal, you know, stay stay with where he was when he got drafted, when he got picked. I know that means a lot to him that the Bucks were the team that picked him. And I think they, they've proven they can be a really, really good team. I mean, 60 wins last year, um, two wins away from going to the finals and potentially getting a ring. I think they could be even better this next year, but I think a lot of it's going to depend on, you know, how they match up with Philly if they can get to the finals this year, at least get there. Yeah, and it looks like he is eligible, and and I don't know if this is the exact number, uh, but it looks like he's eligible for a five-year, two hundred forty-eight million dollar plus supermax uh, when he's able to to re-sign uh, when that that contract uh, negotiation process becomes available. So that's a lot of money to throw at a guy like Giannis, but I think, I think he's definitely lived up to it here so far. Uh, Ty, one last question for you here before I let you go. Uh, it's the tough question I've been asking everybody. Uh, over under for the Milwaukee Bucks for this season is 57 and a half wins. Uh, if you're sitting at the sports book in Vegas and you see Milwaukee at 57 and a half, are you taking the over or the under? That's tough. I was actually just in Vegas, uh, and smartly for my wallet's sake, avoided sports books the whole time. So I could <laughs> just see myself getting way, way too drawn and excited about some of them. I like a lot of the over unders this year. Uh, I think a lot of them are good bets. The Bucks are not one of them. I think is a very good bet. I think that's a very tough number. That's a good number uh, by Vegas to get a lot of people's money on that one. 
Uh, I am going to go with the over, but just barely. Uh, I'm not sure the Bucks get back to 60 wins this year. Um, I think they're going to be a little bit more smart, a little more conservative for the playoffs, maybe try some new things during the regular season and be ready for the playoffs. But on the other hand, I think the East at large is much, much worse than it was last season. I think outside of the top five, you get a lot of teams that are very eh. Outside of the top eight or nine, you get a lot of teams that just don't even have a chance against the Bucks. So even if you think they might rest a little more, even if they have some injuries, even if they do you know, experiment with more lineups that might need some figuring out to open up more potential later, I still think they're going to win a lot of games against this East. So I will say over, but I'm not – very confident on it. I'm not going all in on that one for sure. All right, there you have it. Again, that's Ty Windish. He is the host of the Eurostep podcast, and he's also a reporter for the Wisconsin Herd. Uh, Ty, again, thank you so much for joining us, man. I appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to talking to you when uh, when the Wolves play the Bucks. Absolutely, I'd be glad to bring me back on anytime. This was a blast. Thanks, Kevin. Once again, with the division preview here on the Howl, part of Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel, we are d- joined by Derek Briscoe. He is a blogger and section manager for Bull Nation Chicago, uh, and he's also the host of the Chicago Hot Sauce Pod, uh, part of uh, Shy Sports Nation. Derek, thanks for joining us tonight, man. Um, no problem. Thanks for having me. So the Chicago Bulls, I think this is probably one one of my favorite teams in the NBA to talk about other than the Wolves, because I I've got this Bulls team really kind of flying under the radar and making a huge leap from last year. Now uh, quickly taking a look at last year, they went 22 and 60, uh, you know, obviously not a great spot in the East, but we saw some, some bright spots on this team from last year. Oh, definitely. Uh, Zach Levine, he's looking like a bona fide superstar with the way he can score the ball. That's a name um, yeah. I hate to hear, not in a Minnesota Timberwolves uniform, man. I'm telling you right now, it bums <laughs> me out every time to think that Zach Levine is gone. Another uh, piece from that trade from you guys uh, was the draft rights for Lori Marketing. And, you know, he should be able to dominate. He's a um, mismatch on, um, you know, for the defenders. He can cause a lot of different chaos out there on the court. And, you know, Wendell Carter Jr.'s back, and we saw the bright spots with him last year before that injury. So the Bulls should be in pretty good shape this season. Yeah, and and I'm glad that you mentioned Wendell and Lowry because those are two guys that I think, you know, like you said, they both showed a lot of potential um, last year with Chicago. And and are you thinking that – or I shouldn't say thinking. Are you expecting a, a pretty sizable jump? In, in the in this upcoming season from both of them? I yeah, I, I definitely see like uh, a big jump from uh for Wendell Carter. Um just because, you know, he was his rookie season at nineteen and the defensive presence he showed in his rookie season was was out of his world. And now he's a year older, he's put on some more muscle. Um he's he kind of missed most of the training camp, but you know, his uh, preseason game, the last preseason game he played, he looked very good, and he should be a big part of that offense. Um, Laurie as well, you know, he he's a, should be a double double machine. He can score from anywhere on that court, and he's been getting after the rebounds, so he should put up a nightly double double. 
let's let's talk about another piece that you guys got in this Jimmy Butler trade uh, that we all hate to speak of. Uh, Chris Dunn. Now, obviously, in the draft this year, you guys went with a a pretty dynamic point guard. We'll get into into him in a minute. Um, but with that addition, uh, where does Chris Dunn fit in? I mean, is he destined just to be a backup in Chicago? Do you think the the Bulls might try to move on from him? What are your thoughts with Chris Dunn? Um, I think the Bulls are going to try to move uh, Dunn and maybe possibly by the deadline. Um, no, he he it doesn't really fit well with playing alongside Zach Levine because um, they're both pretty much ball-dominant guards and they work best when the ball's in their hands. And you're putting the ball in the hand of Zach Levine, who's your best offensive player. So for right now, you know, Dunn's been saying all the right things. The Bulls have been saying all the right things. And he's accepted this bench role where he's kind of coming in and he's uh, showing his defensive presence and to bolster the bench unit's defense. But, you know, he um, – the Bulls could have offered him an extension today. They did not offer the extension. So he is a free agent come 2020. Um, I think the Bulls are going to try to at least maybe get a second-round pick for him, maybe by the trade deadline, instead of letting him go just for nothing. Yeah, and that's that's uh, definitely something difficult. But I think you also kind of noted what what Wolves fans saw to Chris Dunn uh, was he a good defensive prowess, but the um, the scoring ability wasn't necessarily there. And and you know, on the Wolves, you had Towns, you had Wiggins, you had. Uh, you know, you had, you had guys that, that, you know, play with the ball. And then you had Chris Dunn who wasn't getting the ball a lot. So we didn't see a lot from him, uh, but that definitely makes a lot of sense. Uh, but uh, it seemed like the bulls got much stronger at point guard uh, and, and really just a great draft from Chicago. I think overall, uh, first off, you get the guy that I wanted in Minnesota, hands down in Kobe white. Um, and then you guys also go out and get Daniel Gafford to a six eleven big man from Arkansas. Uh, what are, what were your thoughts on draft night? Were you were you pretty ecstatic? Oh, I was ecstatic. Um, <laughs> I wrote a blog uh, before the draft saying that Kobe White should be the Bulls' pick, and when we picked him, I was like, "Thank you." Some somebody <laughs> agreed with me in the Bulls front office because they picked Kobe White, and he's. Through the preseason, he's been better than advertised. I mean, he seems like he's already ready to make an immediate impact with his scoring. Um, of course, as you know, a rookie, a 19-year-old, he's going to have to kind of learn the point guard position in the NBA, how to make NBA-level reads. But right now, uh, they can string him along with that uh, pretty much slowly behind uh, – Thomas Dyeransky and just let him go out there and score right now for the second unit. Yeah. And that's, and I, I think we saw some good flashes out of Kobe early on in the year. And I think as he becomes more comfortable with the game, uh, we'll definitely see more out of him. Uh, Daniel Gafford, do you think he gets some pretty decent playing time this season? Um, I hope so. I like Daniel Gafford. Um, I mean, he hustles, he does dirty work. He brings that energy that the Bulls haven't had from a player since, um, you know, a Joe King Noah or a Taj Gibson, where they had that hard, grinded-out mentality. And he 
seems like he can bring that and you know the bulls definitely need any type of energy like that if they want to make a playoff push uh let's let's talk about some of these role players on this team because you know the the team acquired Otto Porter Jr. uh towards the tail end of last season but um you know guys like uh uh you know Cristiano Felicio you look at a guy like Thad Young coming to choose uh to play in in Chicago uh what are I mean some of these role guys Denzel Valentine is still on the team and he produces uh what do these role guys mean to the success of Chicago uh, overall this year Oh, the role guys mean a huge amount to the Bulls' success. Um, I think that's pretty much for any NBA team. You need to have good role players that are able to complement your star players to have that whole cohesive unit as a team to be any type of a contender. So you you need these guys that go out there and provide defense um, in a way maybe that – your star player can't give you because he's too busy focused on the offense and he's got to give you these buckets and he can kind of rest a little bit on the defense then because you have these defensive minded role players that can cover him there. So the role players mean an extreme amount to the overall success of a team. And, you know, Thad Young, he, he's going to be pretty big for the Bulls with his veteran leadership um he's made every team he's been on better and he he's a culture changer and he's going to help that young team find the culture that they need to be successful you know we we joked a lot during the the tom thibodeau regime here in minnesota that you know we were slowly becoming the minnesota timberbulls because (laughs) you know we went out and we got taj gibson we had jimmy butler uh but i think we can actually you know, maybe even start calling you guys the uh, the Chicago Timberwolves. Uh, you know, you got Thad Young, you got Zach Levine, you got Chris Dunn. I mean, you guys are starting to add a lot of former Wolves there. I uh, I, I think uh, the Chicago Timberwolves is a new thing now. <laughs> it might be. I definitely remember the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves that was <laughs> definitely going around. We'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to find somebody to make a couple graphics for us, and uh, I'll send those your way so you can share that out and see how. <laughs> upset it makes everybody but the the one one of the guys I really want to talk about is is Zach Levine now you know we we know that he suffered that ACL injury last year he came back you know he started off a little slow kind of found his his step as he went through the end of the year uh I mean from what you've seen so far I mean is he is he looking 100% good is that is that bounce back with him oh yeah he's 100% good Uh, he's had a few dunks already in the preseason we're like wow um he's going to be in the uh dunk contest this year right uh, man i'm hoping so that i i think that's what everybody wants to see ultimately i mean he said if his legs are still feeling good and he'll he'll consider doing it so you know hopefully we'll see him in chicago representing the bulls uh in the dunk contest but other than that he he he's a effortless scorer like he doesn't even break a sweat out there and he's hitting from three-point range mid-range he's getting to the basket any type of way that he can score he's making it look easy yeah it, it seems like a couple of the the main components that a lot of people were saying about him when he got drafted by the wolves uh he's worked on really well which is you know his his handling skills and his and his three-point shot i think those were 
probably two of the bigger knocks against him as we, you know, as we went through the draft process and when the Wolves ultimately selected him. And sounds like he's getting that work in uh, down there in Chicago. Definitely. Now the biggest knock on him is his defense. And through the preseason, uh, he's he's been playing the passing lanes, getting steals, and going after the loose balls. He's commented on that he knew he needed to get better defensively. So it's, every year, if you knock something on his game, he's going to try to get better. And it, I mean, he's he's quick enough that when he's able to step into those lanes, he can break out for a one-man fast break. Doesn't necessarily matter if he's in the post or if he's not top of the key. He can uh, he can get some separation. Uh, Derek, one last question for you here. Uh, this is the question I ask everybody. So, Bovada odds currently have the Chicago Bulls slated at thirty-three and a half uh, for the over/under for this season. If you're sitting in Vegas enjoying yourself, you're at the sports book and you see thirty-three and a half on the board, are you taking the over or the under? I'm definitely going over. Uh, this team's flying under a lot of people's radars. Um, you know, they got marketing Levine Carter's back. Uh, they have a new point guard and Staransky who can lead that first unit. He's unselfish. He can make sure that Zach and Lori are getting their shots. You got Thad Young bringing his veteran leadership. We drafted Kobe White and Daniel Gafford. Um, I definitely think this team is going to surprise a lot of people, and I'm taking the over as long as they stay healthy. And I, I think that's the biggest thing with them, but I, I definitely agree with you on the over. This is probably one of the more sure bets that I would make in the uh, in the NBA this year. I've got the Bulls as a as a you know six, seven, eight seed in the playoffs this year. I definitely agree with you on that. Um, like I said, uh, on the, my podcast, I said if they stay healthy, you know, and everything's clicking with marketing and Levine and Wendell Carter, I think they could maybe get as high as the fifth seed. And there it is. I, I like that a lot. And uh, again, that's Derek Briscoe. You can find him on Twitter at Young Jordan. Uh, he is the blogger and section manager for Bull Nation Chicago, uh, host of the Chicago Hot Sauce podcast uh, at Chicago Hot Sauce. Follow him. Uh, the Bulls, I think, are going to be one of the most fun teams in the NBA. And uh, Derek, again, I really appreciate you hopping on and joining us tonight. And uh, best of luck with Chicago and uh, and this season. All right, thank you, man. Best of luck with the Bulls, and thanks for having me on. Welcome back to the Division Preview here on The Howl, part of Dash Radio's Nothing But Nut channel. We are joined now by Alex Golden. He covers the Pacers for PacersTalk.net, and he's also the host of Setting the Pace, uh, which is a great Pacers podcast. If you have not listened to it, you definitely need to check it out. Alex joins us now. Alex, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, and thank you so much for that nice introduction. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know I, I think nice is actually the, the the right word because the Pacers uh, they did a really good job last year. It was it was nice to see them overcome adversity, um, and I think you know obviously that that adversity was losing Victor right. Oladipo, uh, but this team still prevailed. They ended up going forty eight and thirty four in the East. Yeah, no, they they really did do a great job of overcoming Oladipo's injury. Now, if you look at their schedule, they did 
pretty much go 500 when Oladipo went out, and I don't really think they had any significant wins over playoff teams during that run. So they beat the teams they should have should have beat, and then they lost to the teams that were probably better than them on paper. So I mean, it was a true testament of the makeup of their roster without Oladipo, but it was still nice to see them make the playoffs and get a five seed. Yeah, I mean, when when you lose a guy as dynamic as Victor Oladipo, um, I. I think that's one of the things that that first crosses through your mind you know other than I hope he's okay is where does our season go from here and you know you had Oladipo but then you had you had other guys step up and I think one of the big ones and and he just signed a a contract extension today was DeMontis Sabonis oh yeah you know it was it was an interesting you know time for Pacer fans last year when Oladipo went out because a lot of fans were like well the season is lost now without Oladipo which kind of makes sense and so uh, Jay Michael from the Indy Star actually had a report on this talking about how some of the guys in the locker room were wishing that it might have gone with uh, with last year if they would have gone with a younger group of players with Aaron Holiday, TJ Leaf, uh, give them more minutes, maybe insert Sabonis into the starting lineup with Turner to develop the young guys. But they felt like they owed it to their veterans that signed with them for two years. So that's why they ended up going that route. And the veterans asked coaching staff if they could just try to finish the year out and see what they had left in the tank. So, you know, I, I respect McMillan for letting his veterans get the opportunity Absolutely. to finish out the year. But, you know, I mean, as far as going younger, I mean, the Pacers definitely went younger this year with the moves they made. And you mentioned Sabonis. He is now a starter. He mentioned that he wanted to be a starter last year when he met with Pritchard in uh, the front office and basically just said, I'd like an increased role. And, you know, I think that he really deserves it because he's been a constant off the bench. He's been a go-to guy for him. And, He's a young player. He's right around the age of Miles Turner. And this team, like I just said, is going young. So it's really beneficial to put him in that lineup and just see if it works because we all were expecting, you know, one of them to get moved at some point. But this is the year they have a chance to prove they can do it together. Um, With Oladipo still recovering, we're not sure when he'll come back. But, you know, everyone's hoping around December, January. So, uh, great job by the Pacers to get that extension done with Sabonis so he doesn't have to worry about the upcoming, you know, free agency period. And, you know, the Pacers now pretty much can't trade him because everybody knows the extension rule is a poison pill. So I think it's nice to see Sabonis is going to be here for at least one full year as the starting power forward next to Miles Turner. You know, let me let me ask you this, and this is this is a question I've been kind of thinking about for a while. When Paul George got traded to the OKC Thunder and you got Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis back in the trade, did you at any point think that that trade would be pretty close to even if not you guys ending up winning it when Paul George left OKC? Yeah, I don't think anybody thought we were really getting any victory out of this trade. I think it was, uh, okay, Oladipo's from Indiana. Uh, Well, he played at Indiana. He's not from Indiana, but went to IU. Uh, a lot of fans were excited about getting a familiar face back. And then Sabonis was like, oh, yeah, he's a pretty good, you know, big off the bench. You know, this is a nice return. Nobody thought it was what they were expecting to get. So, no, no one would have ever imagined that you'd be extending Sabonis. And then next year, uh, I believe uh, Oladipo is a free agent at the end of the 2021 season. So I, I think that we know he's going to get extended as well. And he leapfrogged into that superstar player two years ago. I, I can't imagine this trade <laughs> going as well as it did. I mean, it's been way better than what anybody thought. So got to give it to Pritchard in the front office for taking a gamble on these guys, believing in their potential, and for those guys 
just busting their butts to really become, you know, as good as they could become. You know, I, I think the ceiling is, you know, still high for Sabonis. I don't think he's reached it yet. Um, depends on how Oladipo comes back. You know, this injury is such a such a question mark for this team. And so that's why I think all of Pacer Nation is just ready to see what this team looks like with Oladipo. But, yeah, back to your question. I'm sorry. I'm going down a rabbit trail there. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, with Paul George, you know, that trade, everyone thought we were going to get picks back, younger players. Uh, Jalen uh, – not Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum was the guy people were looking at. Maybe Kyrie Irving. I mean uh, – Gary Harris, those were all names that were mentioned in trade rumors. And then out of left field gets Sabonis and Oladipo, and all of Pacers Nation was like, really? That's it? But now they're like, oh, yeah, we, we stole them. We robbed the, we robbed the Thunder. So I, it's funny how much the script has flipped in just a matter of two or three years. And that's that's one thing that I've noticed with Pacer fans, and, and trust me, Minnesota fans, and I think there's a lot of other fans are like this as well, but there's that – that kind of the 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 really that's who we got you know kind of deal um you know when you look at uh the wolves when we traded uh Jimmy Butler we got Dario Saric uh we got you know the draft picks we got uh Jared Bayless like I mean, it, it wasn't yeah but we got Covington and so it was like like initially it was like all right cool like that's who we got for Jimmy Butler but like Covington has shown like that he belongs on this team and and it's you know, I see that with the Pacers, and and we kind of saw that this year actually too in the offseason with the draft. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, Goja Batadze, you know, fans initially upset by the pick. Um, but I mean, every it seems like everybody who was covering the draft kind of gave the Pacers a, a you know high B, low A grade for that pick. Yeah, I think what was the most shocking about the move was that the fact that the Pacers didn't need another center. I mean, I don't know if very many people expected Sabonis to start with Turner. Um, going into the season, I think a lot of people were uh, not expecting Thad Young to be retained. I think it was a question mark, but a lot of people were kind of anticipating that Young would be moving on. So when the Pacers drafted Goga, uh, there was a lot of other names that I know people liked that were sitting there at 18. Um, you had Matisse Thibel, you had Grant Williams. I know a lot of people were high on uh, Kevin Porter as well. So it was just one of those things where we're like, expecting a wing or a, or a power forward type player. And then they go with Goga and they're like, what does this mean for the future of our bigs? So that's kind of where I feel like Pacer Nation was a little bit shocked, but after he had his, you know, meeting with the press, uh, you know, he played in one preseason game against Minnesota. He, he looked okay. You know, it looked like a rookie, but uh, fans, I don't, I don't remember fans being this hyped about a rookie. Uh, I mean, really, probably since Paul George. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy to say that, but uh, fans are all in on Goga Batase, and our little saying here in Indiana is "goo goo" for Goga. I, I like that. That's that's, <laughs> that's actually really good. But I mean, when you when you look at the depth chart for this team, I mean, it makes sense. There's no other real true center, uh, if you will, behind Miles Turner. I mean, Demontis right. is, you know, I mean, he's 6'11", is the same height as Miles Turner, but um, it looks like he's going to get run at the four. Uh, you've got TJ Leaf, but I, I can't, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't really see TJ Leaf as a, as a five kind of guy. So I think Goja yeah. you know, makes a lot of sense here uh, for the Pacers at that, you know, now, now kind of hindsight 2020, if you will. Yeah, and this is one of my question marks with the team as well, you know. You're giving Goga a big role as a rookie uh, backup center. And one thing we know about backup bigs and 
young bigs in the NBA is they tend to get in foul trouble. So that's one of my biggest concerns. But I think, in a sense, you know, I know Sabonis is starting at power forward, but I would not be surprised if you see him play a lot of minutes with the backup still as that as that center, um, just depending on how McMillan substitutes his players in. But uh, the other guy that's been kind of playing third string center, I guess, without uh, with Goga being out and injured was Jakar Sampson. Uh, pretty undersized center, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, TJ Leaf has played a little bit of center last year. I know he played a lot of center against the Hawks when the Pacers were uh, playing that last game of the season last year, uh, set pretty much all their starters. So, you know, that is a concern for me is do they have enough centers on this team with Sabonis being thrust into that power forward position? But I think ultimately uh, they still technically have three centers or three guys that can play center on the roster. So um, it's it's not that big of a concern, but, you gotta you gotta just keep an eye on Goga because he also has been dealing with injuries as well this preseason. So hopefully he's not uh, injury prone and that that was just a preseason mishap. And we'll see how durable he is throughout the season. Let's let's talk about the offseason acquisitions for the Pacers because I think okay. you guys made some great moves uh, in bringing in some some veterans. I mean, uh, names like Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Jeremy Lamb. Uh, I mean, heck, TJ Warren, uh, TJ McConnell. There's there's some great role players that the Pacers brought in here to solidify this team as a whole. Uh, it's those four specifically, but just in general, um, what do you think these these new acquisitions mean to this team uh, as we go through this season? Yeah, so let me ask you a question because I've been seeing a lot of people saying they're worried about the Pacers. They let Bojan go. Um and they went a different direction. You know, obviously they didn't bring Thaddeus Young back. But um, uh, let me ask you this. So the rumors out there were that they were going to sign Ricky Rubio at point guard, and they were going to retain Bojan Bogdanovic. Would you rather have Rubio and Bogdanovic in that starting lineup, or would you rather have T.J. Warren, Jeremy Lamb, and Malcolm Brogdon? I'd rather have Brogdon, Lamb, and Warren. Right. And so that's why I get kind of like I, – I scratch my head a little bit. I understand that. Bogdanovich had a great two-year run here with the Pacers, but before he got here, he was a horrendous defender, and everyone's praising him like he's some great defender. Look, the Pacers organization does a great job of preaching defense and getting their players to buy into their system. With a guy that can protect the rim and Miles Turner, you know, T.J. Warren, no, he's not been great in Phoenix, and I know a lot of Phoenix fans are sour on T.J. Warren, but, you know, he was in a bad, bad organization in Phoenix. I mean, let's just put it like it is. I mean, they're like the worst team in the Western Conference and have been for the last five years, pretty much since Devin Booker's been there. And they've made a lot of dumb trades that don't make any sense. And they've had like six coaches in five seasons. So, you know, T.J. Warren finally is going to get structure. And I think that we'll see a huge improvement from him this year. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, the Bucks are really going to miss him. And if you listen to people talking about the Bucks, the reason they're picking Philadelphia over Milwaukee and most of their predictions for the playoffs is because they lost Malcolm Brogdon. Well, if you lose someone that significant and put them on the Pacers, why does that make it worse <laughs> for the Pacers? It's kind of kind of confusing yeah. how people throw out their logics there. But I think Brogdon <laughs> is six foot five, he uh, six foot six maybe, uh, two hundred and thirty pounds. He wants to play point guard. He wanted to be in Indiana, and you know, in a small market, that it's hard to get guys that want to be here. You know, so getting a guy that wants to be here. He fits right in as a leader. The guys look up to him. Uh, you know, him and Warren are going to be great for this team. And then Jeremy Lamb, uh, this one was kind of a surprise to me. I did not see this move coming, but I absolutely love it 
And I'll tell you why. Jeremy Lamb has improved each and every season as a player. He works hard on getting better. And in Charlotte last year, he was arguably their second-best player. I mean, outside of Kemba Walker, he was their second-best player. And he stays healthy, and he has completely bought into the Pacers organization. And he's saying all the right things. Now, whether that's true or not, we'll see. But I think he's a guy you can take at his own word. But he said that when Oladipo comes back, his job to come off the bench and be the sixth man, he will do. And he's ready to do whatever role McMillan gives him. I think you'll see him play some small ball three at times when they slide Warren to the four. Um, but, yeah, I just I think that all these guys fit in well together. Justin Holiday, T.J. McConnell, two veterans off the bench as well that can fill in when they're given the opportunity. Not sure if they'll be part of that second uh, unit because it looks right now like Edmund Sumner and Aaron Holiday will be getting the backup guard minutes. But just having veterans that are buying into the team chemistry, I think it speaks volumes for this team. And I know I'm probably more of a homer being a fan of the Pacers, but these are all guys that are all buying into this organization. And you can't ask enough of that. And they're all young. I think the oldest player on the team is Justin Holiday at 31, but everybody else is 27 and younger. And that's kind of the direction the Pacers wanted to head into. They wanted to move on from their veterans and get younger, and all these moves prove that they are doing that, and they're heading in a direction where they can get Oladipo, Brogdon, Turner, Sabonis, Warren, Lamb all in their prime. And they think that that core six right there with the young Bataze and uh, Aaron Holiday, that they've got a solid core moving forward. Yeah, there's there's a lot of of young talent on this team, uh, and one of the guys let's let's talk about for a second here, and that's Miles Turner. Uh, and I don't know how much truth there is to this, and you can call me a moron for even bringing it up. Uh, but there were rumors going around that Miles Turner was being shopped this offseason, especially right around the draft time. Uh, where do you see Miles Turner future? Do you think he's he's staying in Indiana? He's going to be a Pacer for the foreseeable future. Is that something where maybe he gets moved? What are you, what are you seeing out of this? Yeah, so the rumors that were actually going around were basically from what I heard from reports was that the Pelicans, I believe, were looking to shop their fourth overall pick. I think they eventually traded it to the Hawks, and the Hawks drafted DeAndre Hunter. But the Pelicans were looking at trying to add Miles Turner to their team, so they were trying to ask for Turner uh, in return for that fourth pick, and the Pacers were like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, I then heard that they were willing to offer Sabonis for the fourth pick, and the Pelicans were like, no, we want Turner, not Sabonis. So uh, it can be kind of confusing there with rumors. You never really know what's going on. But I think teams were asking about Turner because they were trying to see if the Pacers would be interested. And I know the Pacers did have interest in this draft. Uh, you see how high they were on Goga. I think he, uh, Pritchard mentioned he was like in their top six or seven on their big board. So when they saw him at 18, they were just, uh, dumbfounded by that but you know I, I think Turner is in this for the long haul um, you know there's been speculation if he really is the guy to play the back or play the starting center role and you know be a cornerstone of this franchise but with the extension that gave him last year his ability to protect the rim I mean he led the league in blocks last year he's constantly getting better from shooting on the outside I think that he's going to be a pivotal part of this team's organization. They have truly invested in him. They love his character. They love him as a person, the things he does off the court here in Indianapolis. Uh, it just speaks volumes to this organization and what they what they preach and what they believe. And so, yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think they're fully invested in him. And um, 
This is why the whole Sabonis extension thing kind of was delayed, and there's reports the Pacers might look to trade Sabonis. I'm sure you saw those uh, floating around Twitter from Sam Amick uh, at The Athletic. But, you know, I think they're going to give these guys a chance to prove their worth this year. And then, you know, once those uh, contracts are more movable in the summer, that's when you could probably talk about a deal for one or the other. Um, if Sabonis, I mean, if he outshines Turner, and, and Turner really takes a you know, a backseat to Sabonis this year and doesn't put up the same numbers, then they could possibly move him, but I don't see that happening. I think Turner's in it for the long haul. All right, Alex, I got one question left for you here, and it's the hard hitter that I've been asking everybody. Uh, Bovada currently has the Pacers at 46 and a half wins this year. Uh, That's uh, a game and a half or win and a half down from where they were last year. You're sitting in Vegas enjoying life, and you're at the sports book. You see the Pacers at 46 and a half. Are you taking the over or the under? Yeah, honestly, I'm going to take the over here. I, I'm probably being a little bit optimistic. I mean, I've heard some guys even mention the Pacers could win 50-plus games, finish as the three seed. Um, I think that their ceiling is the three seed, but their floor is probably the seven or eight seed because, like like I've said, and I've talked a lot, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> Oladipo's injury is the biggest question mark. Um, if he's early – in his comeback, then, you know, I can see them getting close to 50 wins. But if he's late, I can see them in the lower 40s, uh, 42, 44, around that range. I mean, it's just it's just really hard to tell because you don't you haven't seen these guys together on the court for multiple times. And with a lot of new players, you know, you, you hope that this chemistry can develop. But I'm going to I'm going to put it at 40, 48 and 34, just like they went the last two seasons. I'm just going to stick with consistency because uh, Nate McMillan is a, a good head coach in the NBA, good regular season head coach, and he's he's done a great job throughout the last two years overcoming what people thought were going to be, you know, putrid Pacer teams, and he's, you know, done a great job of just developing and putting guys in the right position. All right, there you have it, right from Alex Golden's mouth, Pacers at 48, so he, right around 48, so he's going to take the over. Uh, once again, at Alex Golden NBA, he covers the Pacers for PacersTalk.net, as well as setting the pace. Uh, follow him on Twitter; a, a, a great follow to have, uh, especially come uh, come basketball season. Thanks again, I mean, I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, it's going to be a fun year.